absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Yes, patrons, episode 43 of Leave the Pin In Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and got a special guest tonight. Got my buddy, Dan, from Train On Main, at Train On Main on Instagram. Dan, what's the good word? What's going on, Pete? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, man. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit of golf tonight. Scott's got uh, back-to-school night for his daughter. Ooh. So he's uh, he's uh, spreading the gospel of Leave the Pin In at the kindergarten classes, maybe trying to get all the parents to uh, tune in and subscribe. And speaking of tuning in and subscribing, you can follow us on Instagram, at Leave the Pin, on Twitter, at Leave the Pin, and go over to iTunes and give us a comment and a rating, help us out, help us grow bigger than we could ever imagine. So, Dan, real quick, you and I got the chance to play golf, which we which we do pretty frequently, and we played a cool little course, a... Uh, 1929 design, if I'm correct, by the first PGA of America president, this course called Harker's Hollow, which is a Sugarloaf Social Club approved course in Phillipsburg slash Lopatcong, New Jersey. And Dan, you know I like to get to courses early, kind of talk to the pros, learn a little (laughs) history when I get there. And as per usual, I was there at about, uh, I don't know, an hour before our tea time and got a lay of the land. You talked definitely to definitely the, there an hour early. Yeah, yeah. Got, got uh, <laughs> the lay of the land, talked to the pro, chipped and putted, talked to the baggage guy, you know, just to kind of get a feel of the course. And, um, well, you weren't there an hour early. Why don't you tell <laughs> us how your morning went before our tea time? I was at the gym. Had a nice session, you know, probably took a little bit too long. And uh, by the time I texted you to see, you know, what time you were leaving, you were already two minutes from the course. So I felt like it was uh, <laughs> my duty to get there a little bit quicker than uh, than what I would normally drive. And I uh, went through beautiful Belvedere, New Jersey. And unfortunately, in Belvedere, New Jersey, there's a 25-mile-an-hour speed limit. Uh, I did not abide by that. I was uh, approximately 15 to 20 miles over that speed limit. And uh, I pulled off some mowings, and I decided that <clears throat> it was uh, my time to get pulled over. I actually never been pulled over for a speeding ticket before. Well, first time for everything, so, right? Unfortunately, that's how, yeah, that's how my morning started. Uh, glad to say it did get better from there. So let's let's talk about the course. The course is the course is basically set into the side of a mountain. And you and I speak at length when we play that people from around the country just don't understand um, or I guess appreciate mountain golf, where one hole you could have a nine iron that goes one thirty, and the next hole you could have a nine iron that goes one seventy five. And that is not a joke. The exaggeration is not there. Um, it's all truthful. The elevation changes on this course were very near and dear to the Northeast PA, Northwest New Jersey area. And, um, it was kind of cool seeing the course routing because this was a course that was done before heavy machinery. So it was nice to see the, the routing kind of take the lay of the land and then not bulldoze or blow up the side of a mountain or anything like that. What were your, what were your impressions of Harker's Hollow? 
Yeah, Arkansas was really awesome. Uh, just from, you know, just from the pro shop and, uh, and the old, uh, the old design. Uh, and then, you know, you go out and typically you think, you know, a mountain course, you kind of go up and down. And that's kind of how a few of the holes did go. But, uh, you did go side to side pretty often, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, where they were able to kind of level out portions of the mountain, uh, while still keeping it, uh, looking probably how it should, uh, especially when we got way up to the top there, uh, get what that hole was. That was your infamous thin trap hole, which you'll, I'm sure, uh, share with the uh, listeners soon. Uh, but that one, I was way all the way at the top with the, uh, wood line. Uh, you could see out over probably half of New Jersey from there. It was beautiful. Uh, so I was just impressed with the layout of the course uh, and not all the holes going uh, kind of up and down. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. The, a lot of the holes played kind of horizontal or adjacent to the mountain, and you had a lot of runoffs where the fairway may have looked 50, 60 yards wide, but in essence it played 10 to 15 because if you were too far towards the edge of it, the ball was rolling off. Um, and as Dan mentioned, I actually I was playing very well. Continuing my my play, and uh, uh, it was a par 70, and I was probably on pace to shoot 73, 74 without a birdie. And we got to um, uh, 13 or 15 maybe, and didn't hit the drive the way I wanted. Foot slipped out, flared a little bit right, in perfect position. Had a 9-iron to a green. That was flat, but long and thin and a big, deep sand trap about, am I exaggerating when I say 15 feet below the level of the surface of the putty green? You would not be. And a big mound in front, and again, the way the the hole played out, uh, I came up just short, and it hit into the bunker. So I'm sitting there with a 60-degree wedge. I am, gosh, I don't know, 20 feet from the pin. 20 feet below the pin, that is. And for the first time in my golfing career, you know, you had a first before we even teed off, and I had a first while we were playing. It took me four shots to get out of the trap. And finally, I literally closed the face of my 60 degree, swung as hard as I could. And the ball checked up to about, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe eight feet or so left to salvage um, a triple at that point. And needless to say, that didn't occur. And I made an eight. A quadruple bogey, a double par eight after hitting the fairway and having a nine iron in. Rallied for a 78, but uh, that that kind of put the kibosh on anything decent for the round, you know? That's right. Uh, yeah, I believe you were, you were around four over at that point, and uh, I'd say we've been playing for a long time together, and I've never seen anything like that occur to you on a golf course. Uh, that, was, <laughs> that was special. And, of course, I mean, nobody's going to step up and make that putt. Uh, just out of sheer frustration of what just happened. So definitely don't blame you for that one. Yeah, and uh, the next hole I did unleash a bomb off the tee because I was at the point where I just <laughs> did not care whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, I hit the club face, and it yeah. went pretty straight. 
well, see, the frustration comes out on the next hole. It's never going to happen on the putt, but on the drive, you know, you get to smoke it. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, for everyone out there that counts, you know, every stroke and tries to play as legit as possible, you know just how unbelievably frustrating even taking two out of the bunker is. And, and considering I hit probably three of my better bunker shots in my life on three holes prior to that, on three other traps I was in. And it just uh, wasn't meant to be at all. Oh, and the shots you were hitting were not bad at all. <laughs> they were uh, they were fine. They just uh, came about a foot short. Yeah, yeah, I needed to hit them about 19 feet, and I hit each one about 18 feet. Uh, <laughs> and I just kept swinging harder and harder, too, and it just didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I definitely did some damage to that trap. Uh, but a good but a good place. So if you're in the Northeast PA region, Northwest New Jersey, Phillipsburg, Easton, I mean, it, it was a steal. We played at... What, 10 o'clock on a Saturday, and you're talking about what they bang us for, 40 bucks or so, right? Something like that? Yeah. With a cart, yep. you know, on a weekend in New Jersey. So it's a great course. They're under new management. Uh, new management bought it about three years ago. Actually, management that owns a few of the courses that Dan and I play regularly. And the greens are fantastic. You know, I mean, the, the fairways are rough. It's mid-October. The... Uh, the tee boxes are rough. It's mid-October, but it's a course that stays open year-round without any snow. So if there's no snow, I'm pretty sure we'll be back. Oh, for sure. And uh, you know the other, the other couple of impressive things. One, the food was really good. Uh, we went on and all of the reviews talked about how you know cool the golf course was, but uh, but every single review that I read said something about the food, and they were not wrong. Food was really good. But then that uh, that kind of basement locker room was uh, that was really really cool. The uh, nostalgia was real there. Yeah, some some like real old late nineteen twenties, early nineteen thirties vibes. Uh, and again, you're you're right. I mean, I had a simple chicken quesadilla, and I mean it was it was fantastic. You know, it, it, it obviously. If I go to a course for the first time, I'm not going to order something crazy over the top. I'm going to kind of stick with something tried and true. But they didn't mess it up. The right. bartender was phenomenal. The people that we spoke to there, everyone was was real cool. It's definitely not your typical New Jersey course. And for the people that live in the in the East, they they know exactly what I mean. So Dan, did you yeah, uh, did you see any of the Houston Open? last week, won by our man, Lanto Calrissian. I unfortunately did not. Last week was a big uh, outdoor week for me, uh, big other sports week for uh, football and baseball playoffs, so I did not catch any of it. So are you... Uh, are, you tuning in this weekend. are you referencing my New York Jets beating your Dallas Cowboys at a game that you were at? <laughs> was that the big outdoor uh, spectacular? I was uh, I was going to stay away from that, but uh, since you brought it up, yes, unfortunately, uh, I was uh, front and center for a missed two-point conversion uh, that would led to an amazing comeback uh, from my Cowboys this year, Jeff. Uh, yes, that is exactly what I'm referencing. <laughs> did, uh, did you get any crap from Jets fans there? Were you decked out in full Cowboy regalia? So I went to... Uh, my neighbor's tailgate, which he is actually in the uh, Jets Hall of Fame, 
did not want to be, you know, too much of a Cowboys fan. I wanted to be, you know, nice to him and his friends and, you know, people I didn't really know. So I wore my camo Cowboys jersey. So at least I was the same color. Little did I know that I would say about 45 to 50% of that stadium was Cowboys fans. So I fit right in. And so not not having to deal with any of the uh, typical New York, New Jersey Jets fans. No, not even close. Well, that's... I've been to a Cowboys game uh, versus the Giants, and that was 10 times worse. Yeah, well, they, yeah, I mean, that's and uh, <laughs> big division rival there. I took my brother-in-law, big Raiders fan, back when we had season tickets, took him to a game. And he's a he sticks out. He's a big, burly, bald Irishman, um, and uh, you know is definitely prone to instigating things. And there were about three or four occasions where I had to, um, let's say, uh, mediate problems between <laughs> an inebriated Jets fan and uh, an inebriated brother-in-law. Uh, that was an interesting yeah. day. And the Jets needed to win. Yeah, no. And the Jets had to win that game to get into the playoffs, and they did. And so everyone was kind of, you know, so over the top happy that they kind of left him alone after the fourth quarter. But there was a right, of course. Yeah, there was a there was a few moments there that got you know a little bit tense, (laughs) uh, which is why I I like to stick to baseball, you know, as far as going to games. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, your baseball team uh, has let you down. Well, they. I'm yep, sorry to hear that. Yep, they are done, and uh, you know we let we apologize for the the lack of podcasts as of late. But I was in D.C. Uh, catching the Cardinals playing the Nationals. Who, hey, best of luck to them. They are on an absolute tear, and quite honestly, look unstoppable at this point. Especially with the rest that their pitchers are going to have now. Yeah, it's going to be ridiculous. You got to think that the Yankees and uh, Houston series are going to draw at least six games at this point yeah you're gonna have like scherzer and sanchez on 10 days rest basically <laughs> which is ridiculous be too much. so uh, so our boy lanto calrissian wins uh the houston open in humble texas which is actually changing uh locations next year they're going to be out of humble which is not even in houston uh, they're going to be going to downtown, but uh, pretty cool scene because the owner of the Astros actually pumped a ton of money into that course. So he was putting the tour pros up at the uh, ALDS and the uh, the ALCS during the week and all that. So it was pretty cool. But uh, I don't know if you know this, Dan. This is this is crazy. I mean, you have the same name as I as myself, which you know I'd consider a semi normal name, and Lanto is. Yeah a little bit different of a name, if you will, right? I would, yes, I would agree with that. And you would hear the name Lanto, and you would think, eh, maybe he's from a different country, right? Yes, well, for sure. Lanto was born in California and spent the majority of his life in Blacksburg, Virginia, home of Virginia <laughs> Tech. He grew up playing at Blacksburg Golf Club where he used to walk, you know, all day long for like eight bucks and get lunch there. And one of those classic stories of parents dropping him off in the morning and picking him up in the afternoon. Um, I mean, literally a guy that won like the Virginia Open. So Lanto is named after Lord Lanto, which I'm sure you're familiar with, right? 
absolute mentor. I am not. Okay, well, let me let me read to you um, what his parents named him after. This is, quote, Lord Lanto, an ascended master of Chohan of the Second Ray of Illumination, or less formerly, the Lord of Light. <laughs> what the hell's oh, that man. mean? All right. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I did not know who this guy was uh, before I did a little research for the podcast, and I am shocked right now. This is good. <laughs> so Lan- Lanto Griffin, a.k.a. Lanto Calrissian here, um, is is a big fan favorite of Leave the Pin In podcast. Uh, I get to follow him around a little bit, the Savannah Golf Championships. But not for a second did I think his name was named after Lord Lanto, an ascended master, a Chohan of the second ray of illumination. What, it, 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 is this Scientology? Like, is this Tom Cruise-esque? Aliens coming down to, to what? What the hell does that mean? I feel like the character in four. I could be wrong, <laughs> but it, it sounds like one. So you you think he's like possibly a a second cousin twice removed to the god of thunder, the Norse god of thunder? Remember when we talked about what goblins would be Avengers, or that was on a podcast at some point? Yep. Yep. I think you have a new one. I, I think you have a new one. Yeah, I mean, he's uh it's it's definitely an interesting name. I want his parents are straight hippies. Uh I wonder if he knows exactly oh, what it means, but he's got a crazy way <laughs> that he got on tour. Um like I mean, first off, he's he's kind of an odd duck. He's 31, so he's older. He is the first Corn Ferry Tour graduate to win this year. Raised as a strict vegetarian, but he'll eat meat when he orders pepperoni pizza. <laughs> That's amazing. That's um, not vegetarian. Yeah, I know. So he's literally like this broke dude playing mini tours here and there and trying to, you know, cobble together money. And then Willie Wilcox in 2014 at the Greenbrier asked this kid, hey man, you know, which is held in West Virginia, so very close. Says, hey, dude, why don't you caddy for me? And he was like, oh, yeah, cool. Wilcox finishes fourth and pays the kid 17 grand, which was his biggest paycheck as a quote-unquote golfer. So his biggest paycheck came as a caddy. That's insane. <laughs> and so, so he hey, turns... You gotta feel great for guys like this. Oh, yeah, it's such a sick story. And so he turns that money into continuing his pro career... And he makes it on tour, but then loses his tour card in 2018, goes back to the Corn Ferry Tour last year, and uh, just says to himself, look, I've just, I, I can't be concerned about winning and putting everything into that. I've got to just finish high all the time. And he does that and gets himself back on the PGA Tour and wins in his third eligible event on the PGA Tour this year. It's just uh, very you know, cool. And I, I think that if more golfers took that approach, where, you know, you're not just going out there and going balls to the wall trying to win every time, treat it as what it is, a job and a business where you actually have to make money and go out there and stay competitive and make money. Again, eventually it's going to happen for you. You know, but stay in, you know, make the cut and, you know, make some money and then, you know, really go after and after you kind of set yourself up a little bit. 
I mean, that's it's a great mindset, but you never know what goes through a guy's head once he stop, once he starts missing cuts and stuff. And you know, this guy had a pedigree. Like in 2017, he wins the Nashville Open on the Corn Tour. 2019, he wins the RTJ Golf Trail Championship. Right. So, like he's he's won semi consistently every two years or so. He won a uh, PGA Tour Latino America event, and then he just goes on fire. Uh, my buddy Mike Creed, uh, the caddy that everyone knows that we have on on the podcast, is really good friends with his caddy, and they text almost every single week. And I played with him in, in D.C. recently, Mike, and he said, yeah, I've got this text thread from his caddy that just shows, like, dude, we're close, dude, we're close, we're so close, like, I'm not kidding you, next week's our week, next week's our week, and... I'm cross-referencing that with his last few finishes. So he finished top 20 at the Greenbrier, top 20 at Sanderson, top 20 at the Safeway, top 20 at the Shriners, and then in the next tournament goes out and wins. So his caddy knew, like something was clicking there, you know? Like he was, he was, he was ready, so he must have been on the verge. But in his mind, you know, you never know. He might be like, well, dude, um... Another top 20, it's not a win, but his caddy probably saw, like, hey, if one shot went our way, you know, things could be a lot different this week. Well, let's be honest. If anybody's going to know that you're close, it's probably going to be your caddy. Maybe even over yourself sometimes, because they can take the emotion out of it, where, as the player probably can't always, and uh, they can see, you know, the little nuances of the game uh, that the player might not even see himself. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point. I mean, who's with you? Who spends more time with you than your caddy? I mean, you you see your caddy exactly. more than probably your family. It's like it's like a kid going to school. Like you see your teachers, and if you play a sport, your teachers and your coaches more than you see your parents during the school year. You know, exactly. So he goes off to win, wins at fourteen under, uh, beats Scott Harrington and Mark Hubbard by a stroke. Uh, so Dan, the PJ Tour is taking a complete 180, and they're heading off to Asia. And you know because uh, that's where the PJ Tour needs to be in mid to late October. And so this week they're going to the Club at Nine Bridges to play the CJ Cup, which is a little bit of a misnomer because you would think the trophy would be a cup, but instead it is a plaque. Um, so it is what it is. And the club at Nine Bridges has eight bridges on the course. Again, you would think that's a misnomer, but no. The ninth bridge is to represent the bridge to the heavens. Okay, I can at least respect that, but you're going to not give me a cup when it's called the CJ Cup? <sighs> exactly. It's probably one yeah. of the worst trophies in golf. But again, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, it's <laughs> okay. It's it's got a little replica of a bridge on the bottom. So whatever, it's cool. I mean, it's had okay. some some good winners. Uh, JT won there. Uh, Mark Leishman won, I believe. But uh, like, I think Brooks won last year, right? Yeah, Brooks won last year. You know, and of course, a horrifying trophy, by the way. Yeah, and all those dudes are there because it is a no cut event. And it is being played to the tune of $9.75 million. That's what the purse is. So we don't necessarily need... It's insane. We don't necessarily need the CJ Cup there. But, you know, at that 
at that money, at that price point, well, guess what? We're getting it. The yeah, this is an A-plus field for uh, all of them, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and so it kind of leads into the Zozo Championship, which is going to be next week, and let's not forget, we've got the Skins game before that. I was about to say, you just skipped over something. I, I, I know, I know. We'll talk about that <laughs> next week, but we've got the big made-for-TV Skins game, which uh, which I'll tell you what, the advertising for that has been semi-funny as of late. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, just wish that it wasn't uh, starting off around midnight. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that all leads us to the culminating event of the Asian Swing, which is the WGC HSBC Champions event, which is at Shesson Golf Club, um, which, you know, if they clear the smog away, they'll probably be able to get a f- few holes in each day. <laughs> they are playing to the tune of $10.25 million. Wow. So and the opposite, the money over there. yeah. The opposite field event, the Bermuda Championship, is being played to the tune of three million. Unbelievable. So the the money's over there at this time. Um, you know, I'm sure LeBron would be happy about that. Um, oh boy, we went down that road. We w- <laughs> went down that road. Um, you know, the Rockets' <laughs> owner probably would not be happy, but the PJ Tour players are that happy. That guy doesn't want to hear the word China ever again. No. Uh, and and here, here's what's funny. About two months ago or so, before the player of the year was determined and Rory won it, Rory and Brooks were talking at a press conference. And I can't remember what tournament it, it was at. It honestly may have been at the Open Championship, the last major of the year. And they both kind of said to the tune of, hey, look, all these other tournaments are great, but let's be honest. The majors are what is important. Uh, Brooks, this time around, said, let's be honest. The majors are important, but what really counts is having a high finish every week. So you do well at the Aon Risk Reward Challenge and get a high standing in the FedEx Cup. Who got in Brooks's ear and changed his tune and how much money did that cost? Well, considering, well, see, I don't know how to feel about this. One, I'm really pumped that Brooks has kind of said what he said, and maybe that, you know, lights a fire under Rory, because one, a rivalry between those two would be just incredible for the game of golf. But two, I mean, let's be honest, Rory did have a pretty good year, but when was the last time he won a major? Now, Rory has finished well, and obviously finished well to win $15 million this year, which was more than Brooks won. Uh, but when it comes down to me, it comes down to the major. So let me, uh, let me combat that argument with what Brooks said. This is what Brooks would tell you, Dan. He would say, I've been out here for what, five years? Rory hasn't won a major since I've been on the PGA Tour. So I just don't view it as a rivalry. That's phenomenal. But I get I love it. I, I, I love it too because I think, hey, that's Brooks being really himself. But then I read the quotes of Brooks saying, well, I got to play well for the FedEx Cup. I got to get a good stand and got to start the year off for the Aon Risk Reward. If you tell me that Brooks knows where he stands – 
on the Wyndham Rewards Championships and the FedEx <laughs> Cup and the Aeon Risk Reward Challenge, you know, like, I'll eat my shoes. It's just, it's just there's no way. He just, he doesn't care. But publicist got okay. in his ear and a publicist made him say that. And I think Brooks probably got pissed and is now like, you know what? I'm going to talk like how I should. And he says, I'm number one in the world. I've got open road in front of me. I'm not looking in my rear view, so I don't see it as a rivalry. He's not worried about Rory McIlroy. He's not worried about trying to buy a golf pass subscription from Rory McIlroy to hear his podcast with Carson Daly. All right, so do you think that there's a possibility that... So when did he, when did he make the quote about the golf points? Um, I didn't see that. So when was, that was before today. That was before today, before yeah. To, 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 today's quotes okay. were all about burning Rory McIlroy. Okay, right. So is there a possibility that he was upset that he did not win the $15 million, which is obviously the biggest purse of the year, and that is what motivated him to say that? Yeah, it, it, it might have been, but... Like, I kind of liken it to this. You and I go play golf. We pay $40 a round. If somebody told us that when we got there that the round mistakenly cost $55, would we just up and leave? More than likely, no. No. We'd probably pay that $15 and and play because $15 is not a lot to us. Is $15 million compared to $12 million a lot for Brooks? I don't know. Is it enough well, for him to get upset over? Not. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think so. So, to me, Brooks is a dude that is motivated by slight. You know, like Brooks is a bro. You know, and it's like, hey, Brooks, you can't crush that beer can on your head. <laughs> like hell, I can. I'll crush two of them. Brooks, you can't do a hundred push-ups with. Uh, a 45-pound plate on your back, the hell I can't put two 45-pounds. You know, like, I think he just rises to the challenge, and when you tell him he can't, he's going to prove you wrong. I don't think money's the motivating factor there, honestly. Okay, so then if you you think it's slight, which I'm not saying that I do agree with you, if it's slight, then do you think that he was bothered by not winning Player of the Year and with what Roy McIlroy did? Plus, he won $15 million. Yeah. Oh, I, hands down, I think it's that. You know, Brooks had the quote where LeBron's been the best player in the league for 15 years, but he's only won four MVPs. Kind of alluding to the fact that you don't always win MVP by being the best. Sometimes it's a popularity contest, and sometimes there's other factors at play. So, you know, to me, he definitely sees that as a slight. Um yeah, I don't I don't think it's the money for him because when you got as much as him, like, you know, I mean, like, how many cars do you need? How many hours of net jet do you need to buy? You know, I mean, it's like after a while, I think it does become kind of a legacy thing for these guys, you know? Yeah, and I, I read that same quote about LeBron James, and, you know, he's exactly right. LeBron James could be the MVP every single year. And, uh, you know, LeBron James should actually probably feel flighted, just like Brooks probably should feel flighted this year. And I think maybe, you know, Rory obviously had a great year. Uh, 
but maybe there was, it was prisoner of the moment because he did win the last thing that you can win. Uh, maybe that's why he won the award uh, when a lot of Brooks's damage was done earlier in the season. Uh, but I mean, I think that his win at that phase, even though it, would, it ended up being closer than what it was, I mean, that should have taken the cake as it is. Yeah, I mean, and just his finishes in the majors this year. I mean, you know, again, like you said, by far he's the most consistent player. I'll tell you what I'm most pissed about. And, and well, first of all, before I get into that, here's what I think happens with Brooks. I don't think he has, like, Tiger's got that long-term memory. You know what I mean? Like, Tiger remembers what Stephen Ames said to him in, in, in 2001 and how he went out and beat him 9-8 the match play. Tiger does not forget those things. He doesn't forget slights. I think Brooks is a dude that just lives in the here and now. And he probably was like, eh, that's cool. He won uh, player of the year. I said this. It's over and done with. Let's go jet ski, bro. Right? And then someone was like, hey, Brooks, how come you're not playing this skins game? What? I'm not pl- Who's playing? Well, it's Hideki and Jason Day and Rory and Tiger. All right, well, Tiger deserves to be there. But screw those other guys. I should be playing. You know what I mean? And, like, that's his new slight. Now that's what he has to go off on. And so now he's pissed about that. And once it's done, he'll forget about it. And then something else will happen, you know? And, and he'll be pissed about that. And, and I love it. it. It's great for golf. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Uh, you know, and he, he's one of those rare individuals that, you know, especially an athlete that can use that so much to their advantage. I think, you know, one, obviously he turns it on for the math, or, uh, for the majors. But, you know, if he is pissed, like this week, if he happens to be pissed, you know, he could probably play amazing. And uh, there's just so few athletes, I think, or so few people that can really channel whatever emotion they have, especially anger, into something positive. Yeah, that's the truth. Well, especially in a game like golf. You know, like if you're a, a defensive or an offensive lineman in football, I mean, you can you can use that as a positive. You know what I mean? Use the adrenaline and your anger and hatred as a positive. But very hard to have that manifest itself positively in golf when the game is played so much between your ears. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, obviously the game of golf is more mental than pretty much every other sport out there. But how were, how were uh, the players picked for the skin sound? I did not actually see that. I don't know. Who knows? I, I mean, honestly, it's, oh, okay. it's we have to have Tiger in it. Otherwise, no one will watch. So that's why he gets Correct. in. Um, you put Matsuyama in because you're in Asia. Um, and he's the favorite son, so that's fine. Uh, you put Rory in because, quite honestly, he's one of the most marketable and accomplished younger-ish golfers. Uh, why the hell Jason Day's in? I got no clue. That makes no. <laughs> that was my real question. <laughs> yeah, that makes no sense. I mean, I think Fowler. I think uh, JT. I think Brooks. I, I, I mean, hell, I'd put a dude like Poulter in who's apt to say something crazy and just put, you know, is, I don't want to say unstable because he's not, yeah. but has a little bit more flash and panache than Jason Day is the most boring dude in the world. He's slow as hell. He loves six-hour rounds. He's injured. He falls down on the ground, has vertigo spells, you know, twists ankles, walking up and down greens. I, dude's a, a walking calamity. I have no idea why he's on, why he's with those four. Yeah, his his injury answer is actually why I think it's a terrible idea that he's in there. 
I mean, they shouldn't say he's getting injured. He's probably healthy, but he probably has more chance of, you know, he probably has a good chance of Tiger of getting injured, you know, out there. You have to have Tiger, obviously, but why would you put this guy out there? I think Poulter's a good idea. I like Poulter. Poulter would be great with a microphone. Yeah, I mean, there's so there's so many guys that have such flair and style. You know, I even think putting a Matt Wolf or a Victor Hovland or, you know, one of the younger quote-unquote guys that they're trying to promote, put them up there, you know? Um, and, and honestly, I think they'd be more competitive than Jason Day. Now, me saying that, Jason Day probably goes off and wins the whole damn thing, and, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about anyway, oh, so it's sure. whatever. For sure, you know it's gonna happen. <laughs> of course, but uh, it, it's it's weird, dude. Scott and I talked about it a few weeks ago. The the payout if you win everything is like seven hundred and fifty thousand. So there's got to be a bunch of back end TV deal money going to these guys because they're certainly not playing hard for that purse. No, I was I did just read that too. Uh, I was a little surprised at how low the skins were. Uh, I mean, you want to be playing good at the end because it looks like it's kind of back-weighted. I guess the skin on the 18th is $100,000. Uh, but then there's also the ability to, you know, side bet, which let's hope they side bet a little bit more than Nicholson uh, and Tiger did because I was I was pretty excited for, you know, putts or, you know, closer to the pin on chips or whatever to be kind of side bet, and uh, that didn't happen when they played. So I'm hoping that there's uh, kind of just the bets you do on the, out on the course. You know, if you have the same length putt as somebody else, you know, throw five bucks on it or whatever, you know, just to make the game a little more interesting. So hopefully they do something more than on the along those lines. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Um, you know, my, my biggest fear is that everyone after the match between Tiger and Phil said, look, like it was cool – and all because it's them, it's a different course, not a lot of people get to see or play. Um, but like you said, the biggest problem was the fact that there was no side action. Um, you know, quite honestly, they don't really have the camaraderie that comes through well on TV. So everyone said, hey, what if we had four people? Because even, even if two of the people don't talk, well, at least there's probably 50% of the, the field that'll, you know, go back and forth with, with each other. Um, well, now we're down to 75 because uh, Hideki doesn't even speak English well. So I don't know how he's going to communicate out there unless he brings a translator along. That could be hilarious in and of itself to have this little translator walking around, you know, trying to uh, tell Rory or Day or Woods what he's trying to say. Um, it could also make it very odd. A decky could make a joke, start laughing, and, and no one else knows what he's saying until the interpreter says something, you know? And if something gets lost in translation, no one else thinks it's funny. Um, for yeah, golf... I honestly think that's going to be a train wreck. Yeah, well... <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's good for, good for TV at all. But you know what? The, the, one, the one great thing about the Phil and Tiger match undoubtedly was Charles Barkley. And he should have been following them around the course. Yes. He would have made that telecast 10 times better than what it was. Well, he should have been playing. (laughs) Yeah, but we put him, you know, put him 40 yards out and he still wouldn't beat those guys. Yeah, no. I mean, you could have him putt on the greens and give him a stroke and he still wouldn't beat them. (laughs) But, yeah, so I'm, I'm anticipating a cluster. And if it happens to be anything better than that, 
I'm cool with it. You know, I mean, obviously, like guys like you and I are going to watch regardless. But in my opinion, something like that is put together to bring the casual fan in. And a casual fan is going to watch for a bit just because Tiger's there. But if there's no magic, if there's no chemistry, they're they're out. There's no way they're staying in. Yeah, I mean, with the with the Phil and Tiger match, I stayed in it because I, you know, truly love to watch golf. But I was good after about four or five holes, honestly. It that's about all that held my attention. Yeah, it. Uh, I was. I remember because it was during Thanksgiving, so I was down south, and we were watching it, and the weather was so nice out that I could have been out golfing. You know, and it started at that weird time in the afternoon where you had to start watching it in the late afternoon and it went until dark. And I remember them making the turn in the back nine and I just said to myself, I can't believe I wasted a day out on the course when I could have come <laughs> in after dark and still gotten the same experience as watching the full 18 holes or 19 holes as it yep. turned out to be or however many 20 holes it turned out to be or something like that it ended on that stupid par three when they hit from the putting green that was horrible too by the way yeah well that hey that's a broadcast that didn't anticipate it occurring and we're running out of daylight and we're like well let's have them chip down to this and that's what it ended up being it ended on a chipping contest you know it was stupid but, yeah, but again I mean, on on the fly for the tv production it was actually smart but you know the fact that it didn't start early enough to have a playoff, which it's only two guys playing. I mean, it's possible that there's going to be a playoff, obviously. So, yeah, I think somebody dropped the ball on that one. Right, and that was for $9 million, you know, uh, which, again, I think that's one of the reasons people tuned in because it was such a big cash grab. And now this next one, the week or the you know, day or two before the Zozo next week, um, I think they're hoping that the quality of golf will carry it because obviously the monetary value is not going to do that. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, so that's that's really it, man. You know, the golf world is kind of uh, aside from Brooksy just crapping all over Rory. The uh, <laughs> the yeah, that was great. That was great. I read that you know before we even talked about it, we called on the podcast, and I I was sitting there just laughing. Yeah. And you know what? We we need a little bit more of that in the game of golf. It's, it is so buddy buddy. I know it's you know, that's the sport and you know, you never wish for anybody to do bad or anything like that, but there's it's too too friendly, too friendly right now. I want there to be a little bit of rally, like a like Tiger and Sergio or something, you know, something that, you know, excites you just a little bit. Yeah, or Sergio and uh and the course or something like that. <laughs> well that's what Bryson's for. Yeah, Bryson does a, a very good job at uh, destroying putting greens and things like that. So uh, maybe he'll take the mantle. We can't hate him, though, because he's the patron saint of Leave the Pin In. Oh, so true. Um, all right, well, let's let's get people out of here with uh, where to follow us, where to follow you, and we'll give them some, uh, some cool stuff coming up. So, like I said, Dan and I are recording tonight. Scott's got back-to-school night for his kid. Um, Scott and I have some cool stuff coming up in the future. So, obviously, you know to go check out McEwen Golf, one of our sponsors, and Mulligan's Golf. And when you go to Mulligan's Golf, you can use the promo code LEAVETHEPININ20. 
And that's going to save you 20% off of any purchase that you make from Mulligan's Golf. Actually going to be recording an awesome podcast tomorrow night with the owner, Diego, of McEwen Golf. He's going to give us an idea of kind of how he got into the business, where he gets his ideas from. And he's going to preview his next release, which is going to be coming up pretty soon. That's something you want to get in on because that's going to be very much uh, Sugarloaf Social Club-esque where... Only going to make a few, and once they're made, they're done. So tune into that. That's going to be tomorrow night. And then we've got a new friend of the pod, Dan, and I know you saw me wearing the shirt when you and I played, but Boston Scott Golf has become a new friend of the pod, and their owner, Scott, did something pretty awesome, and he made a promo code for us, which is going to give you 30% off any of their polos or hats, and that promo code is simply leave the pin in 30 Go to bostonscottgolf.com, use promo code leave the pin in 30 and save 30% off of any purchase that you make. And I got to tell you, the quality is astronomical. You saw me in that shirt. What'd you think about that? Boston Scott Golf stuff is fire. Oh my gosh. I love that shirt. I was just on the Instagram. I was just on yours where you had uh, put up all the different shirts that he is releasing. And I, you, you did say details in each of them, and you're spot on because if you look at the details of these shirts, they're absolutely awesome. So uh, I'm going to be going on there and checking out some of these new shirts as we speak. Yeah, and I, I love a, a company like that that isn't like so over the top that they push things in your face. It's just those small, subtle details. Sometimes even just the details that you notice when you're wearing it, like maybe a nice lining inside that only you get to see. Little details like that are cool. And I misspoke. I don't know why I said the owner's name is Scott. It's Steve. But I just mentioned, you know, obviously Scott, our co-host in Boston, Scott Golf, and that was in my head, and it starts with an S. Uh, But Steve, I apologize. But uh, yeah, him and I are actually going to get together pretty soon and go down and play at his club and record a podcast down there. So just a lot of cool stuff coming up, but, but definitely check them out. Boston Scott golf on Instagram, uh, bostonscottgolf.com. And as always big shout out to our sponsors, Mulligan's golf and McEwen golf. Dan, tell people where they can uh, locate you. If they're looking for a good golf related workout. You can find us at train on main on Instagram. You can also find us at 427 main street in Strasburg. Uh, we also have a website, train-on-main.com, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, unleashing our new uh, golf fitness program. It's going to be starting on November 1st, and uh, you'll be able to buy uh, a three-month package, and uh, we're going to hopefully you know, get you more flexible, get you to lose weight if you want to, and get you hitting the ball a little bit further. Very cool. And that's, uh, you know, for any of our fans in Northeast PA or even Jersey or, you know, even down in the, in the Valley, um, come up, check out Train on Main, go to Dan. He knows what he's doing, you know. Um, you can definitely trust your golf swing and your physical talents to him. And let Dan know that you're Leave the Pin In podcast listener and maybe, uh, maybe I'll get Dan some uh, merch and he'll hook you up for a good workout, but only if you put the work in. <laughs> I think we can handle that. For sure. All right, people. Well, Dan, it's been a pleasure. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying.